Good morning. I'm really excited to be speaking as part of this series. I don't know about you, but I found this to be a brilliant series. It's been quite varied, it's provoked me, it's challenged me, it's encouraged me. And when Tim first sent out the overview of the preaching series and all the different topics that we'd be covering under Jesus being counterculture, I wrote back to him a bit cheekily and said, I would love to talk about the countercultural compassion of Jesus. And the reason I was so excited is because the compassion of Jesus is what I fell in love with. It was what moved me from being a young person in a church context with a Christian family to someone that was completely in love with Jesus and actually wanted to live for him. His compassion, I think Sam called it the aroma of Christ. His compassion is like the aroma of Christ. It was the thing that drew me in and stuck with me. So I'm really chuffed to be speaking about it. For those of you that don't know me, my name's Irena, as Priscilla said, I'm married to Tom. We have a little boy called Nathaniel, who you'll have heard if you haven't seen him. He's quite loud. <laughs> um, and whenever we, Tom or I, do anything in terms of serving, he gets a little bit upset that mummy or daddy are out of bounds for a little while. Uh, so if you hear screaming at some point through this, you'll know why. I'm talking about Jesus being compassionate in the context of him being countercultural. But you could be forgiven for thinking, is compassion countercultural? The reality is, compassion is everywhere. Lots of people in our culture are compassionate. You will find many cultures that have expressions of compassion. For example, at this time of year, as we head towards Christmas, loads of people, Christians and non-Christians, are going to be giving to food banks. They're going to be giving to charity. They're going to be volunteering their time for stuff that matters to them. So compassion in itself is not that countercultural. But the compassion of Jesus is something else. And that's what I want to explore. What is different about the compassion of Jesus that really sets him apart, that makes it countercultural? And what does it mean for us? Because being nice is not the extent of compassion. I mean, as Christians, we don't have the monopoly on being nice, do we? There are lots of very nice people doing incredible things that don't know Jesus at all. But I want to read you some scripture that gives you some examples of how Jesus' compassion differs. If you've got a Bible or an app on your phone with scripture, or if you can even just Google, then look up Matthew 9. We're going to be doing a bit of a whistle-stop tour through Matthew 9 and the examples of the compassion of Jesus. We're going to start with Matthew 1, oh, sorry, Matthew 9, verse 1. It says this, I'm reading from the NIV. It says, Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, came to his own town, so he's on his way home. Some men brought to him a paralysed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. And then, if you jump down to verse 6, he then says, Get up and take, get, sorry, get up, take your mat and go home. Then the man got up and went home. So two different things happened there. Some people could read that and be a bit confused and think that Jesus is saying that he's paralyzed because of his sins. But that's not the connection that he's making there. He's saying, Your sins are forgiven. He's dealing with his heart 
in caring about the state of him spiritually before he even deals with his practical needs. But both are an act of compassion. It then moves on from healing someone with a disability into Matthew 9 verse 10, where it says, Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house and many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, if you're wondering what's wrong with tax collectors, they were collecting tax for the government that were, that were uh, oppressing them. I can't remember the word then. Uh, they were collecting tax for the Roman Empire. And not only that, but they had a little bit of a reputation for often taking more than they were meant to and not being very moral people. So the Pharisees, the religious rulers of the day, were saying, why on earth are you sitting down and hanging out with people like that? And Jesus' response is, I desire mercy. Mercy is a synonym, it's another way of saying compassion. I desire compassion. He's not looking for religious acts. He's looking for compassion on people that other people viewed as socially unacceptable, as people that you wouldn't sit with and eat. He desires it. That's what he wants from us. Mercy, compassion. Then if you move on to verse 20, you then read about a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. She comes up behind him, she touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. And Jesus turned and saw her and said, take heart, daughter, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. The reason this is such a beautiful example again of Jesus' compassion is that in Jesus' culture, someone that was bleeding would be considered unclean. And in fact, that is still true in some cultures today. If you are a woman and you're bleeding, nobody's gonna touch you, nobody's gonna come near you, you should keep yourself away from society. So if a woman like that has gone up and touched a respectable man like Jesus, in the culture, you might expect that his response would be, ugh, get off me, or disgust, anger, why are you touching me? It might have even tainted him by association. People might have thought, well, he must be unclean then because he's let that woman come near him. That's not how he reacts at all. He said, he calls her daughter. Take heart, daughter. He gives her a sign of affection and care. And then he heals her, he meets her need. There is nothing in Jesus' response here other than compassion. And when I read that story in particular, I'm often reminded of something that happened to me a few years ago. I used to live in Westbourne and I got a lot of taxis because uh, they don't drive, not because I'm lavish. And uh, I was queuing up one day for a taxi and a woman came to talk to me. And this woman was a friend of mine, her name's Janet. Um, I haven't seen her for a few years now, actually. And she's homeless. She's been on the streets for so many years, for all kinds of reasons. She's really lovely. I knew her and her husband just because I lived in Westbourne, so I bumped into them a lot. That's mainly where they hung out at the time. And she was coming up to me to talk to me and just give me an update on what was going on in her life. She was saying, oh, hey, this is what's happening in my family. This is what's happening financially. And we were just having a chat. And actually, she had some positive news. And so I was saying, oh, I'm really pleased for you. 
Anyway, as we're chatting, a taxi driver sees that I'm waiting and does a loop and pulls up to the rank to let me get in. And as I go to open the door, I say to Janet, it's really lovely to see you, and she hugs me, and so I hug her back. The second I do that, the locks on the taxi driver's door shoot up. And I go to open the door, and I say, oh, I can't open it, it's locked. And he says, you're not getting in my cab. I get to choose who's in my cab, and I'm not having someone like you in here. Now, you might be thinking, maybe it's because you're a bit brown. That does sometimes happen, sadly. But it only happened when he saw me hug the woman that lives on the streets. And it was really heartbreaking. She started to apologise and say, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to inconvenience you. I'm like, it is not you that inconvenienced me, it's this guy. He's the one that should be apologising. You haven't done anything wrong. But here's the thing. In the context I'm telling it to you, you might think, oh, that guy doesn't sound like a very nice guy. But I bet you, if you met him in the pub, probably think he was an all right guy. He probably is an all right guy. He will have friends that would tell you how nice he is. He'll have family that could probably describe examples of his compassion. But I bet you he doesn't know Jesus. Because the world's compassion has limits. It only goes up to a certain point. He might be happy to give money to charity. He might be happy to donate to a food bank. He might even, though I doubt it, volunteer behind the scenes at homeless charity. But for a homeless man to hug him, for a homeless man or woman to be his friend, for him that was too much. It was crossing a line. A line that meant that he'd decided that I was somehow tainted by association. And that's the difference. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's not saying... Oh, no, not going near you because you're considered unclean by society. He's saying, you're just like everyone else and I love you just the same. Take heart, daughter. That's how Jesus' compassion is different. As you go through the rest of Matthew 9, you'll see him healing a, a blind person. You'll also see him healing a person that's demon-possessed. And although we obviously have people who are blind in our society now and other physical disabilities, and I mean, that's a whole conversation in itself about whether or not they receive the same value and compassion in our society as others. If you've been following the news this week, you'll know that there's a big contentious debate about that right now. Does the life of a physically disabled person count in the same way as a non-disabled person? It's a difficult subject, it's a heartbreaking subject, but here is Jesus giving his answer that he has equal compassion on everyone because everybody is valued, regardless of whether they've got a disability or not. He did not walk past the blind person to move on to someone else. When he heals the person that's demon-possessed, in our day and age, we might find that hard to imagine. Although we may come across people that are demon-possessed, the chances of us knowing it or noticing it are quite small. But I'll tell you what we do come across that might have similar social implications, and that's this. Severe mental health issues. They're not the same thing, but in terms of the way that it can be observed, sometimes it can look like someone behaving in ways we don't expect. It can look like somebody breaking social norms and making us maybe feel uncomfortable. These are the kind of people that Jesus didn't walk past, but stopped and had compassion for. 
He met their practical needs. He expressed care for them. And then at the very bottom of Matthew 9, the last section that I want to read to you is verses 27 to 33. He says this. Oh, sorry, not 27 to 33. 36 to 38. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. If you've been around church for any length of time, you will probably have heard that before, and probably in the context of evangelism, of sharing the good news of Jesus with other people, and that is right. But he's not just talking about that. If you look at the context leading up to him saying that, he's talking about sharing the good news of Jesus, he talks about seeing people healed, and then he talks about compassion. When he's saying the workers are few, he's saying we need more people to go out there and have compassion. It's that compassion that motivates us to share Jesus. It's that compassion that motivates us to want to see people healed. The workers are few. And each of us is being asked by Jesus to be one of those workers. And it doesn't mean you stand on a street corner and Bible bash, although if you do, more power to you. But it might mean that you go out and you show compassion. And not the compassion that the world shows. Not everyday compassion. Jesus' compassion is practical. It met their physical needs and it met their emotional needs. It wasn't just words. It wasn't just a feeling. Jesus' compassion was action. The compassion of Jesus is not judgmental or superior. Which is mind-blowing really, isn't it? Because of all the people that have ever walked this earth and ever will, He's the only one that's qualified to be judgmental. He's the only one that's actually perfect and has actually never done something wrong. And he's the king of all the earth, so if anyone could act superior, it would be him, right? But he doesn't, not for a second. He sits down and he eats with people that other people consider to be unacceptable to hang out with. That's who Jesus is. That's what his compassion looks like. He breaks social boundaries. And he does it genuinely. It's not forced. It's not, oh, I'm trying to be a do-gooder. It's with love. It's an active compassion, not just a, a passive one. I want to tell you about an experience that I had recently that really brought this home to me, this difference between a radical, countercultural experience of Jesus as compassion versus the world's compassion. So, over the last couple of years, I've had a lot of health struggles. Uh, those of you that know me well will know that it's been sort of an all-encompassing. Every area of my life has felt, felt difficult. And one of the impacts of that, one of the fallouts from it, has been that our house has gotten incredibly, incredibly messy. And when I say messy, I mean, like, really messy. And the funny thing is, I'm not... I mean, I'm not a massively tidy person on the best of days, but it's never bothered me that much. Like, I've always thought it's important to still have people around. You know, my house doesn't need to be pristine. You can see my mess. I can be real with you. But in the last two years, it has gotten so extreme 
that I honestly have been too embarrassed to have people around. Tom and I joke that we could end up on one of those programs like Extreme Hoarders where we're buried under our own junk. We just, I mean, we've had a child as well and it's just, yeah, we're overflowing. <clears throat> and the reason I'm telling you this is because I was really, really ashamed of it and I would only let a couple of my absolute closest friends in to the house, the people that I really, really trusted, you know, that could see the worst. And I want to tell you about the reactions I had of two different friends. One of these friends knows Jesus and one of these friends doesn't. Both of these friends are really nice people. Both of these friends care about others. I've seen both of them be compassionate. I've seen both of them give to charity. I've seen both of them volunteer for causes that they care about. But one of my friends, when she came into my home, and saw the mess, she looked disgusted, like really let it show on her face. Like, and then she said, wow, this is bad. And it was really awkward and I felt ashamed and I didn't know what to say. Not long after, we had a conversation where she was a little bit judgmental and critical, but I understood that her heart was, she was just trying to be honest with me. She told me to get it sorted out because it had been ages and when we talked about the fact that it was related to me struggling with my health she said I find it really hard because you've been struggling with your health for ages and I don't really enjoy being around you whilst you're struggling and I don't really want to be in your chaos the other friend when she heard about my struggles, she listened to me complain and watched me cry on video screen <laughs> as I broke my heart over all the different challenges I was having with my health and also about how down I was about the mess of our house. And then I apologised to her and I said, oh, I'm sorry, I can't be much fun to spend time with or talk to you right now. And she said, not at all. You can call me and cry every day if you want to, if that helps. I'm happy to be here for you. And when she came and saw the mess of my house, her response, although I'm sure she was pretty shocked too, because it is extreme, her response was, wow, this, this must really get you down. And she was concerned about me. And then, as if it wasn't enough just to be compassionate to that extent, she used two days of her annual leave, her actual holiday from work, to come on over, <laughs> roping in her entire family, to start clearing out my house. She was emptying cupboards, she was cleaning things, she was organising. Honestly, it blew me away. And it started us on a journey that we're still on to try and get our house sorted and back into order because she gave me the confidence that I could get out of the mess. And it honestly blew me away that she would not only care, but that she would actually come and get stuck into my mess. Now, I hope this is an easy rhetorical question. Which of these friends do you think knows Jesus? <laughs> and I don't mean that in a mean way to my friend that doesn't know Jesus, because the reality is, she's also really nice. The difference here is that only one of these friends has encountered the compassion of Jesus. Only one of these friends knows what it is to have the king of all the earth 
come down and get stuck into her mess and help her get out of it. Because that's the epitome of the gospel, isn't it? That's exactly what Jesus did for us. He didn't just stand on the sidelines and watch the mess that humanity were making. He didn't just judge and say, oh dear, you're making a big hash of things, aren't you? He came down and got into the middle of our mess, literally born into a stable, which, if it was full of animals, had other kinds of mess in, I'm sure. He came into our mess, lived a perfect life, and then willingly went and died, suffered excruciating pain, to take the punishment for the messes that we'd made, for all the ways that we'd messed up. Why? So that we could find a way out of our mess. He had compassion on us that was more than just words. It was more than just a nice feeling. He put it into action. He climbed into our mess and he helped us get out. That's the compassion of Jesus. That friend, by the way, is Priscilla Roxburgh, and she's going to die of embarrassment. I just said that. <laughs> she's like, I hate you. <laughs> But honestly, what a beautiful, beautiful example of the gospel. And that's the choice that we're faced with today. Are we going to be a compassionate people within our culture? Are we just going to give to charity now and again and feel like we're doing okay? Or are we going to have a counterculture compassion, like the one Jesus showed? One that doesn't just say nice words, doesn't just have a compassionate feeling, but actually puts it into action, that is willing to go and get stuck into someone else's mess, to climb into the pit with them and said, come on, friend, I'm going to help you back out. I said at the beginning that I, I love the topic of Jesus' compassion because it's what I fell in love with, and it is. And I, I love that picture that was brought about the glow stick because I feel like that's what compassion is like. I mean... I don't know about you, I have also tried to open a glow stick before. We're obviously not very smart people, Sam. <laughs> That's why we're friends. Um, if you do that, it stains. It gets stuck on your clothes. It gets stuck on your skin. It's really hard to get out. And it glows for a really long time. I know back in my partying days, I could wake up with a glow stick in my hand and it would still be glowing from the night before. Compassion has that kind of effect. If you start to splatter compassion around... <laughs> you will find it sticks. People will remember it. They will wake up the next morning and they will still remember what that compassion felt like. It will still be glowing. So I want to invite you to respond in two different ways and then possibly a third. <clears throat> the first is this. Who in your day-to-day -day life do you feel you need to be more compassionate too. And I'm not talking about a change of heart, I'm talking about practical, love in action type compassion. No point making a long list, because we're all busy, but if you can think of even one person that you are gonna put this radical counterculture compassion into practice with, who would it be? And it could be someone you know really well, it could be friends or family or a colleague. It could also be a stranger. It could be that you walk past the same person that lives on the streets on your way into the office every day. It could be that you catch a bus and see the same bus driver that looks miserable every day. Whoever it is, I want to give you a moment and I'll ask you to, to close your eyes or to look down 
so that you can just have a quiet moment to picture that person. If you don't have a person, maybe ask the Holy Spirit to bring someone to mind for you. A person that you could show the compassion of Jesus to. We're meant to overflow. The compassion that Jesus pours out on us is meant to overflow to the person that you're picturing right now. The other way you could choose to respond to this is to think about yourself. Which might sound like a strange suggestion, but I was watching a random quote from Drew Barrymore the other day on Facebook. I tried to find it to share it with you and I couldn't even find it again. I don't even know why it was on my newsfeed. But in it, she said, I find it really easy to have compassion for other people. When my friends mess up or do something wrong or fail, I've got so much grace for them and all the reasons why they should still feel okay about it. But the minute I mess up, I can't extend that same grace to myself. I beat myself up and I wonder why I can't be as compassionate. And when I watched it, it really resonated because I thought, yeah, I'm like that actually. When my friends mess up, I'm full of encouragement and helpful, cheery things to say. But when it's me, I'm like, oh, I'm so rubbish. I'm such a rubbish Christian. I'm such a this. Maybe it's a cultural thing. Maybe it's a personality thing. There's a church leader that I'm friends with who is one of the most caring and pastoral men I know. You might know him too. And the other day, he was talking about the fact that he wasn't feeling very well, and then he said, I'm pathetic, aren't I? Isn't that funny? Because he would never, ever speak to anyone like that who was ill. He would never call any of us pathetic if we were ill. But when he's talking about himself doesn't have as much compassion. And the crazy thing about that is, this is a bigger deal than you think. Because if you can't have compassion for you, how much compassion are you going to be able to have for others? And how much are you going to model to them that they could have compassion for themselves? We're meant to do as he does. And here's the thing, Jesus has compassion for you. So you should have compassion for you. I'll say that again. Jesus has compassion for you, not just for everybody else. So if Jesus has compassion for you, you should have compassion for you. You are allowed to have compassion for yourself. And actually, it's really important. The Bible tells us, love others as you love yourself. We've got to love ourselves well to really love others well. They're related. So I want to give you a moment to nail this because it's so easy to leave on a Sunday and get distracted by lunch and everything else you're doing. I don't want this to be something that just falls by the wayside. I want this to stick on you like the insides of a glow stick. So I'm going to ask you, if you're someone that had a specific person in mind when I said, who are you going to be more compassionate towards and put it into action, then I want to invite you to stand as a mark that this is the moment of commitment. I am going to do this. It's a sign to God and it helps you to remember as well that you've committed in this moment to go out and be more compassionate to that person. And if you're someone that's struggling 
with being compassionate to yourself, I want to invite you to stand as well. And make this a line in the sand, a moment that you're saying, I will be compassionate to me because Jesus is. And next time you catch yourself saying something negative or harsh, ask yourself, would I speak to my friends that way? And would Jesus speak to me that way? So if that's you, if you've got a specific person and you want to respond by saying, yes, I'm going to commit to being more compassionate to this person, please stand. And if you want to be more compassionate to yourself, please stand. And then I'm going to ask the band to come back. But first, I want to pray for you. If you're standing, then you're saying, I am up for radical compassion that I'm actually going to put into practice the minute I walk out of this door or even as the music finishes with someone else or with myself. So let me pray for you. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you so much that when we see the character of Jesus, we're actually looking at the heart of you, God. We thank you that you are compassionate We thank you that you have chosen to love us abundantly despite the fact that we don't deserve it, despite the fact that we make a mess. And you not only love us, but you come in and help us clear it up. You set us on our feet again. You help us get things straight. And God, we are so grateful. So many of us in this room have stories of how you've helped us out of messes, how you've rescued us. Your compassion is beautiful and it is overwhelming. And Lord, we, we want to be people that overflow it. We don't want to keep it to ourselves. We don't want to just go up to the cultural limits of compassion. We want to smash them. We want to go and sit with the person that others might think is unacceptable. We want to hug the person that maybe hasn't had a hug in a really long time. We want to meet the needs of the people that are struggling, God. So for every person that is being held in someone's mind right now, whether it's themselves or someone else, God, we ask by your Holy Spirit, would you empower us to take this seriously and to live differently from this moment? We're declaring, God, we will live differently. This person will receive the compassion that is the aroma of Christ. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.